This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and LA bid on iOS developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average iOS developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they also give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the iFreaks link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash iFreaks. This episode of iFreaks is brought to you in part by Postcards. Postcards is the simplest way to allow user feedback from right inside your application. With just a simple gesture, anyone testing your app can send you a postcard containing a screenshot of the app and some notes. It's a great way to handle bug reports and feature requests from your clients. It takes five minutes to set up, and the first five postcards each month are free. Get started today by visiting www.postcard.es. This episode is brought to you by CodeSchool. CodeSchool offers interactive online courses in Ruby, JavaScript, HTML, CSS, and iOS. Their courses are fun and interesting and include exercises for the student. To level up your development skills, go to ifreakshow.com slash codeschool. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 81 of the iFreak Show. This week on our panel, we have James Uber. Hello from Minneapolis. Alondo Brewington. Hello from North Carolina. Andrew Madsen. Hello from Salt Lake City. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. I just want to give you a quick reminder that I'm organizing a JavaScript conference. It's a remote conference. I know that that's not the focus of this show, so that's all I'm going to say. Go check it out at jsremoteconf.com. We also have a special guest this week, and that is Frank Kruger. Howdy. Howdy from Seattle, I should say. Do you want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. Hi, my name is Frank Kruger. I'm at Preclarum on Twitter. I've been an iOS developer since about uh, 2000, I don't know, ever since they let us start developing iOS apps. And I've been a .NET programmer for even longer than that. Just, you know, your old programmer type doing mobile development now for the last however many years. Oh, you don't sound that old. Uh, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> <laughs> so we brought you on today to talk about Xamarin. Yeah, I love Xamarin. Do you want to give us a brief overview for those that don't know what it is? Oh, okay. Well, it's a lot of things. It's a runtime and it's a set of programming languages that you can use to write apps for Android, iOS, Mac. And it's based on .NET. It's based on actually the Mono framework, the open source version of .NET, which has its roots in Linux and all that, but they expanded to including iOS and Mac. So we have an awesome runtime that comes with it. And then there's a whole IDE for writing code in a language called C Sharp and another language called F Sharp. Back in the day, you could also do some Visual Basic, but I don't think that's really officially supported anymore. But basically, you can use all these awesome .NET languages, basically the .NET runtime, to write apps for all these platforms that you didn't expect that .NET ran on. And that's Xamarin. So I have to ask, you mentioned that it, it's based on Mono, which is the open source version of .NET. Aren't they open sourcing .NET? Yeah, it's weird, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so does that change the conversation at all around Xamarin, or do we know yet? It's hard to predict the future and all, but my gut feel is it actually doesn't change too much. Since Mono was already a pretty complete implementation of .NET, and in fact, kind of a better one since it worked on multiple platforms from the get-go. It was never tied to Windows or anything like that. 
So it's really awesome. I'm super excited that Microsoft's open sourcing .NET, in fact, like all the library source code and all that. And in fact, what's going to happen is that source code is going to come into Mono to improve Mono. But we're all going to pretty much keep using Mono since it's still not quite clear how to compile .NET apps for iOS or Mac without using Xamarin or Mono or anything like that. So I guess don't really know the future, but it's kind of exciting either way. So one of the big benefits that's touted for Xamarin is that it's cross-platform. So you can develop an app for mm-hmm. iOS and Android and get a lot of code sharing. And there are different approaches to these cross-platform frameworks. You know, yeah. One would be like a, you know, HTML-based where you can reuse your HTML skills, like a phone gap. There's other least common denominator things where you abstract things like buttons and lists and do your cross-platforms that way. Something like a titanium. How does Xamarin fit in? What is their philosophy? Well, there's actually two answers to that. There are two philosophies, in fact. The first philosophy is probably the most important one, is that Xamarin's built for writing native apps. So when it comes to writing a UI for an application, you use the native framework. So on iOS, you use Cocoa Touch. On Mac, you use Cocoa. Android, you use Android. I don't know what it's called. Android. Um, (laughs) And then the premise is that the majority of your app is actually the logic. It's um, talking to web services, it's saving data, it's running algorithms, it's doing stuff. And that core part of your application is the part that gets shared between all the platforms. But when you go to each platform, you then write a custom UI for that platform. And that is kind of what you want to do. This actually comes from the experience of the Mono team. Whenever they were trying to port an app from, like, say, Linux to Mac OS, you know what the style of app, they kind of look Linuxy or they look wrong kind of when they just run on OS X. So they they learned kind of quickly that you really do want to write custom UIs for the platform to fit that platform. That said, we were all trying to push the limits back in the day of how much code could we reuse between the platforms. So people would come out with thin abstractions that you try to aggregate, try to take a greatest common denominator between the platforms and do that kind of work. And that that's pushing towards that like phone gap HTML solution of write one app, run it everywhere, user interface be damned. It's fine. I think that's called uh, write one suck everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I I thought we'd learned that lesson with Java, and I thought we all just kind of like, you know, buried our head and said, fine, I'm going to write a nice UI for each platform, and that's just better for users. But it's just so tempting from a a programmer's perspective to reuse 100% of your code between platforms. So to that end, Xamarin actually does have a solution for that. It's called Xamarin Forms, and you can pretty much write 99% of your application in a cross-platform style. And Xamarin Forms is a little better than like the HTML approach and all that because it at least tries to adopt native UI. So you program at a high level. You just say, you know, generally there's a list view here and it has some buttons and all that. But then the framework kicks in and replaces all that with native UI controls. So they're trying to blend the two worlds and it's pretty successful. But in the end, if you want a good native experience, yeah, you rewrite the UI. And that's the approach. Okay, so it sounds like there's two basic approaches. One you write each UI by itself. So yeah. for iOS, you know, you're you're creating the nibs. Would you do a storyboard in Xamarin? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. In fact, so you... they have a nice storyboard editor. I think it's better than the uh, Xcodes. <laughs> okay, which isn't that hard. <laughs> <laughs> so you have your custom UIs. That's kind of why I don't think I put Xamarin in like a cross-platform solution the same way because yeah. you're doing your UI 
both ways. You don't have the drawbacks from a lot of the, the hybrid approaches. But the newer approach that you're talking about is the you know Xamarin forms where you have one yeah one one one, one code base to rule them all yeah yeah and it, it's finding a lot of popularity with uh, internal apps for businesses pretty much you know it, it's like the old Ruby scaffolded websites you just define your database and it gives you a UI it's a good place to start and actually the neat thing about it is it's like a you can gradually pull in platform features into these apps so you can start with a 100% cross-platform app, and then finely tune it on each platform to customize it. It's just kind of a different attack vector for creating your UI. Now, with the separate UIs, do you have like a folder for iOS UIs and a folder for Android UIs and a folder for Xamarin form UIs? Or Yeah, yeah. In .NET nomenclature, you have a solution, and it has multiple projects, and you have one project for uh, each platform. And then you usually have one or more projects that are your shared code. Should we and translate then, solution for uh, workspace? Workspace, the, okay, that's good. Is that the, and then projects would be targets, targets, yes. Targets and Xcode are projects. Whereas in Xcode, you just have one big hunk of source files, and then you have multiple targets. In .NET, we actually break up. The project has its own source code, and then they reference each other. It just makes compiling faster and makes your code more modular, that kind of stuff. And so does it just statically compile it with LLVM? Yep, it's pretty neat. It does a first pass where it compiles from the source language to .NET's internal bytecode. And then there is a second compilation step, which is called, usually it was called the just-in-time compiler, but it, obviously it's not just-in-time anymore, it's at compile time. So they take this .NET bytecode and convert it to LLVM bytecode and then shove that through LLVM, get all the great optimizations that it does. And it spits out an iOS binary. Pretty smooth. Question I have is, I realize that no Xamarin programmer wants to write in Objective-C, but is there any way to <laughs> link in? The, the reason this I, I thought of this is that there are a lot of libraries out there. Is it possible to link in platform-specific libraries or write, for example, Objective-C code for some platform-specific piece of UI that you're doing? Or is there just no way to interoperate between those two? Oh, it's, it's a hundred percent interoperation. I mean, the whole system is a binding to Coco and all the other frameworks, right? So you have that binding system. And what Xamarin did was provide the tool that they use to create those bindings so that you can bind to any other Objective C library. So I can hop onto GitHub, pull down anyone's Objective C just to add it to my project. It becomes, you know, um, like a C plus plus project, uh, project in my solution. And then I can uh, reference it. I have to run this little binding tool on it to go translate from Objective-C names to C-sharp names. You know, like we like to capitalize the first letter of words and stuff like that. But the whole system is designed for easy binding and all of that. So you absolutely can do that. And we do it all the time, especially if a company like Dropbox has an SDK that's Objective-C. That, it's a bad example because they happen to have a .NET SDK also. But any of these big companies, you can just take their library and shove it into your project. No big deal. Cool. I'm not a .NET programmer and I don't really know C-sharp, but I've seen other languages that are bridged to Objective-C, like there's Python mm -hmm. bridge and yeah, whatever. How is the syntax for calling into Objective-C? Is it pretty easy to deal with or is it kind of gross? Oh no, I love it. So it's 100% into the language. Using Objective-C classes feels like using a, any other .NET class. They've done an excellent job with the binding. And this is actually due to the power of .NET. .NET, when it first came out, was on Windows and specifically designed to help you write UIs on Windows. 
But the Windows UI layer was all native code and all that kind of stuff. So even from the beginning, .NET has had to wrap native libraries and integrate them into the language very nicely. So this is actually a very strong point of .NET and C Sharp that they can do this. And so that binding is very tight. And then I even have an anecdote that I did iOS programming in Objective-C, well, actually Objective-C++ in Xcode for probably a year or two before I did C Sharp and Xamarin. And I like to say that I really didn't know the Cocoa API until I had the great IntelliSense and code completion that you have to explore APIs and see how they actually work and see how they really reference each other. And all that was from the binding to it. So I think it's a lovely binding. One thing that I'm wondering about is, uh, you know, you're talking about the exploration tools. Are you using Visual Studio to write this, or is it a different IDE that you use to write Xamarin apps? You can write Xamarin apps in Visual Studio, but I'm a Mac user. I like my OS X, so I use Xamarin's IDE that they've built. It's a customized version of an open source IDE, and it's pretty fantastic. It's called Xamarin Studio. It just comes when you buy Xamarin. It's their IDE. So I just I run Xamarin Studio instead of Xcode on a Mac and do all my coding there. It can work with the simulator and all that kind of stuff, so there's no need to run Xcode. So is, is Xamarin targeted specifically to people who want to do cross-platform development or specifically to, say, C-sharp developers who are interested in mobile development? This has changed a tiny bit over time because the iOS product from Xamarin was their original and first and only product for quite some time. So the story there was basically, here's a more powerful programming environment to write iOS apps. This is for people that appreciate these kinds of environments and appreciate iOS and mobile and all that stuff and just want the two to be working together. Nowadays, I mean, it, it was just kind of the giant pink and green elephant in the room that's roaring that, <laughs> well, if it works on Windows and it works on iOS, that's two of, let's say, three or four platforms that exist in the world. Let's just do the other ones, too. So the value proposition is twofold. It's the powerful platform and it's the cross-platform. Well, and there's also the sense of familiarity if you are a .NET developer already. Oh, absolutely. Um, I know that there's a lot of appeal to the other communities that I talk to for things like the Ionic or Famous frameworks in JavaScript or the Ruby Motion framework in Ruby. Of course, Ruby Motion works a lot more like Xamarin where it compiles, statically compiles with LLVM to the iOS runtime where the others are more web view yeah. and optimized stuff so that it feels less unnatural on the device. Yeah, absolutely. And and you say familiarity and I almost want to replace that for adoration or love. Like It's not just that we are, we're familiar with these libraries. These are good libraries. This is a very well-designed tool set that gives you a lot of things. And on top of that, it's an older tool set, so we have a lot of libraries for it already. So like in the early days of iOS, I don't think there were built-in regex things, and even XML was a little weird, but we had very powerful libraries for doing basically <laughs> network communications. .NET got its name for you know some reason. It was very good at serialization and talking to networks and all that kind of stuff. And so we just had these really powerful libraries that we can just take along with us, too. Can I just about the internal... .NET libraries or third-party libraries too? Both. The BCL itself, that's the base class library. Um, that's all your collections. It's basically foundation in the uh, OS X world. 
It's all your basics, and that's just a really nice library unto itself. It's pretty big and includes a lot of things. And then there's 10 years of both first-party libraries, things that Microsoft has added to it, and also third-party. We have libraries for pretty much everything at this point. Can I just say that XML support in iOS is still kind of lame? Is it? <laughs> I haven't looked yeah. in a while. So there's NSXML parser, but it's sort of like this you know, event-driven parser. But with but I, Swift, you can finally create a good API for it. You have a powerful enough language that you could do something better now. You could yeah, use... but e- even OS X has better XML support than oh, iOS. Is that right? And, and oh, did okay. before iOS came out. I, I don't really understand why they didn't oh, that's bring all of that over, but <laughs> we, we do have lots of libraries now, so I guess that's okay. Yeah. Who uses XML anymore, right? Yeah, right. So. <laughs> So one thing that I've noticed, because I've played with RubyMotion, I haven't played with Xamarin, but they had to tweak the language a little bit because there were capabilities in the Ruby programming language that really weren't supported yeah. in iOS. Do you see the same kind of thing with Xamarin? Yeah, historically there have been those problems, specifically around generics in the very, very early days. So our generics are very similar to Swift's generics, so hopefully you're familiar with those. And they worked but Xamarin wasn't willing to say they always work. <laughs> and so you could use them, but you really wanted to test your app to make sure everything was functioning properly. Fortunately, a couple years ago, they really battened that down and fixed it, and it's 100% good to go. But they're in the early days, yeah, we had those problems. And then, actually, I prefer using this other language called F-sharp instead of C-sharp. It's just another .NET language. And it's a very powerful and sophisticated language, but unfortunately the code it generates is very sophisticated and complicated. And that code threw Xamarin for a spin for a few years until they were able to really refine it and get the runtime able to handle it on iOS and all that kind of stuff. But now it's pretty much 100% solid. Anything that you can write in .NET will run on iOS. All the languages even. (laughs) So a number of years ago when I was first did a monotouch Xamarin project, we had the problem where if you're using link heavily and doing grouped by, like it would work in the simulator. Yeah. That, that, that would be fine. That is the exact problem that I was just describing. That's all okay. fixed. Yeah. <laughs> That's all fixed. So yeah. the difference between just in time and ahead of time is now not really something you have to worry about. No, no, non-issue okay. at all. Yep. Awesome. Uh, okay, wait, I should take that back. There is one feature left in .NET that they absolutely can't support on iOS, but I kind of wish we had. That is runtime code generation. So while your app is running, it can write itself its own code and start executing it. There are a lot of people that say it's witchcraft and you shouldn't do that ever anyway. But there are a lot of optimization scenarios that you can perform in that case. Like I have a circuit simulation app. And it has a generic run loop that it does to do the physical simulation of the circuit. And if I could generate code at runtime and have it compile and run itself, it could be made 10 times faster than it is right now. But I can't do that because on iOS, we're not allowed to generate and execute code. So that's not a limitation because of Xamarin. That's a limitation Apple puts on the platform. It's funny that you mention that because that's exactly the same kind of thing that they disallow in Ruby Motion for the same yeah. reason. Yeah. And so, it's good. It's good if used in proper hands with, you know, safety gloves and all that kind of stuff. Runtime code generation is a nice feature, but I kind of understand Apple's reason for not wanting to do it. Yeah. 
But I should say uh, there were a few other reasons that kind of drew me to uh, Xamarin too. There was at the time the Xcode debugger was absolutely horrendous, especially because I used that terrible mix of C++ and Objective C, and I just couldn't debug anything. But with Xamarin, we because it's a managed runtime, it knows everything about everything. The debugger is just gorgeous. You, we have interactive sessions where you can just type in code. We have just beautiful breakouts of objects and following references and doing all that kind of stuff. So definitely in the early days, I think the debugger was a pretty big part of it. And I'm pretty sure my last experience with Xcode reminds me the debugger is still a little iffy. I don't know. Maybe you guys have do you, any opinion on that? Or are you all pretty happy with the debugger over there? I think it's the debugger is fine for Objective-C. I'm still not really that comfortable in it with Swift, but it's super early days still. So Yeah, and the Swift one can only get better because there's a lot more metadata with the Swift that it can use. So hopefully that one. Speaking of Swift, I think we actually haven't really talked much about Swift on iFreaks, or maybe we did while I was gone. But how do you think Swift changes the landscape for Xamarin? Is it Swift something that makes it less attractive, more attractive? Is there maybe some opportunity to use Swift in Xamarin projects? What What do you think? <laughs> I, I am so preventing myself from mentioning an open source project that I have right now. Okay, oh, just say it. <laughs> Go for it. I'll, I'll take it on at the end then. So Swift is exciting because at first I was like, oh gosh, what if they get a more powerful programming language than we do? Then I have to rethink every decision I've made for the last day. No, nothing like that. Swift is an awesome language. It's like a subset of the language that I use, F Sharp. It's a cute little subset. It's like a very version one uh, language. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't condescending. <laughs> I think I should no, be the it's... tagline on the Apple site. Cute little version of F Sharp. <laughs> but that is actually a highest compliment because F Sharp is the greatest language ever. So <laughs> it's a great language, especially because of the pattern matching. It's a great feature that can really reduce the size of your code and really simplify a lot of logic. So the powerful features like the discriminated unions and the pattern matching and just the fact that they arc is built in from the beginning. So, you know, you have the faintest hints of a garbage collector there. It's a great little language. So on one side, I was very excited because one of the tricks that we have to do in Xamarin is the binding layer where we have to call the more native APIs. And Swift makes that a lot easier because they cleaned up a lot of Objective-C APIs to make the bindings a lot simpler. And in fact, it's kind of funny because coding in Swift feels a lot like coding in Xamarin. A lot of names match. We all use parentheses for function arguments now and all that. So then I got really interested in the language and I decided to write a Swift to .NET compiler. So take Swift language and compile it as a .NET language. So going back to the beginning, .NET is a multi-language platform. You can write a compiler for any language, have it spit out .NET code and be able to use anything. So just on a whim, just at 3 a.m. for a few nights, I started writing a Swift.NET compiler. And the idea being that all the fancy little new libraries, I'm assuming everyone's going to write them in Swift, and instead of actually binding to them, I can just compile them right into my app as native Swift things. Uh, this is in no way officially supported. This is in no way complete or anything like that. I, that's why I hesitated even mentioning it. But the idea being, it's really just exciting that there's a new, more powerful language in Apple land. It's just exciting. <laughs> so you're all Swift programmers now? I think no. we're gonna gonna be eventually. <laughs> okay, you have to be. Yeah, not yet. <laughs> not yet. No, we okay. we actually at my day job have not started using it really at all. We're just writing everything in Objective C still, but there are various reasons for that. Not directly related to the language itself. 
Mm-hmm. I wrote a, a small open source library in it uh, for um, a data center, Socrata Open Data. They have it's just a big data server out there on the web, and they wanted a client for it and written in Swift. And so I wrote them a little Swift just to get my feet wet in the language. And it's a good language. It's a good language. It's missing exceptions, though. You still have to pass around errors like it's 1980 or 1950, something like that. But the transition seems pretty smooth, at least, to use it. So what type of apps are you developing with Xamarin? <laughs> I'm a little bit all over the place, but my favorite apps to write are engineering and scientific apps. I'm an engineer myself. I'm an electrical engineering by education, even though I'm mostly just a programmer. But I love the idea of creating real-world physical things and at least simulating them and, you know, doing designs and that kind of stuff. But I also think the state-of-the-art for engineering tools is quite pathetic, especially from a user interface point of view. Like, how easy is it? Like, can a, can a 16-year-old pick this up and start designing things with it? And so to that end, I've written a circuit simulator app, which is basically the app that I wish I had when I was taking circuits 101 and had no idea what I was doing. It's just a better UI for a circuit simulator. And then I also have a crazy markdown editor slash symbolic math calculator slash plotting crazy app called Kelka. And it's probably my favorite and it's found a pretty good brain share with the more nerdy types out there. (laughs) People who really like math or who really like engineering type things. And then on top of it, I wrote a podcast player. So kind of all over the place. You can... You know, it's just a programming environment. You can write whatever you want in it. The neat thing is iCircuit is a very high-performance application, and it was released on the iPad 1, so back in 2010. And this is still way back in the day when everyone was saying that managed code wasn't fast enough for embedded devices. Oh, you can't write garbage-collected apps on embedded devices. All that kind of naysay going around. So I just took a little delightful, nerdy pleasure in writing a high-performance simulation app in C-sharp and having it run perfectly fine on slow hardware. <laughs> I knew okay. there was a reason I liked you. I was an electrical engineering major in college as well. Uh-huh. Me, yes. me too. I guess there are a bunch of uh, us. Four of us. Alondo? I changed the CS my sophomore year. Uh, you know, I tried for CS, and the classes were just so boring. <laughs> it, was, it, was the, it was the circuit lab that did it. You had the app, you know? You would have stuck with it. Exactly. Oh, I think so. I'll have to try iCircuit out. The state of circuit simulation tools on the Mac in particular has been pretty poor for a yeah, there's, long, long time. I would say there's probably two or three good ones out there. <laughs> And I and I don't like the user interface of any of them, even except for mine. <laughs> yeah, I think I when did you release the Mac version of iCircuit later than the iOS version? Yeah, it was probably a good year later. I, okay. I still wasn't sure if I wanted to be a Mac app developer, but it turns out I love writing for the Mac. <laughs> okay, I, I'm I'm also actually basically a Mac developer, but I'm doing doing some hardware right now, so a new oh. circuit simulation tool to play with is cool. Yeah, it was also trying to just be fun, too. So it tries to tap into the sensors on, like, the iPad. So you can put an accelerometer in there or a microphone element, do something terrible, like put a microphone leading to a speaker, and you'll actually get a great time-delayed echo going on. So I I wanted to make it fun, too. So with the circuit simulation, what did you use for the UI? Because I'm assuming that has more of a custom UI and less of the data-based UI. Well, uh, the UI is just Coco. The, the major UI is the graphical editor, obviously, okay. that actually shows symbols and that kind of thing. And that's just 
a UI view and stuck inside a UI scroll view that does its own custom drawing, all that kind of stuff. It handles touch events just as you would normally handle touch events. And then there's another scope element, which again is just a UI view that knows how to draw itself properly. You know, just all standard Cocoa stuff. Now later, when it came time to port it to other platforms, I started putting a couple little abstraction layers on top of things. So, like, my main editor doesn't inherit from UI view directly. It inherits from something called Canvas. And then what I do on each platform, I just re-implement Canvas on that platform. And then the circuit editor goes over easy peasy. With that technique, I get about 80 to 90% code reuse between the platforms, which means if I have a 100,000 line app, I have to write 10,000 lines to write the UI on each platform. It's a bit of work and requires a little bit of architectural thought, but honestly isn't really rocket science, just a bit of effort. Can I guess what I was driving at a oh. little bit was that, you know, some people come to iOS thinking, oh, I'm going to write awesome games or something, right? <laughs> mm. And so I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, can you write games with Xamarin? Oh, 100%. <laughs> um, in fact, the most popular Xamarin games, uh, Xamarin apps out there are games. So all Unity games, have you guys heard of the Unity tool for mm-hmm. writing games? That's all mono, basically Xamarin. It's basically just an older version of Xamarin. And that accounts for <laughs> lots of the top paid games, I should say. So there is nothing about the runtime and the languages or anything preventing you from writing high-performance stuff, especially games are easy in my world. I mean, I'm running a circuit simulator that has to do 100,000 steps per second. A game only has to do 60. That's pathetic. Like A game, you just run a little bit of logic and throw a million triangles at the renderer. Games are easy. There are a few gotchas with games. Like, you can't be ridiculous. I, I was talking to one person once who said... um he was allocating 20,000 objects per frame and the garbage c- collector couldn't keep up with it. And so you just kind of say, well, yeah, don't give the garbage collector that much work. Use like an array or something, you know, no big deal. But it's, it's funny that the garbage collector works flawlessly 99.99% of the time, except for when you do something ridiculous, like ask it to move the world. So it's garbage collected. It's not referencing, I forget what the term is. Arc. 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 No, no arc. We're a properly garbage collected world, which is so much better than a reference counted world. You don't have to worry about weak references or anything like that. It really just frees your mind. I'm a traditional, I did my first programming in uh, Delphi with Object Pascal, then C, then C++. I spent 10 years managing my own objects and I never, ever, ever want to do it again. It's just too many little devils in the back of your head yelling at you, are you sure you check this? Are you sure you check that? Are you sure this guy's not referencing him? And with a garbage collector, you just throw that devil away and you just start allocating objects and you don't care. <laughs> it's much better. It sounds like for the apps you're doing, kind of the main driver is being able to have a nice functional language, statically typed, F-sharp. That really drives a lot of what you're doing. But for the that's kind of a pretty niche for what, what most people are doing Xamarin for. Like, what are most people doing Xamarin with? For? Yeah, uh... I mean, even that's hard. So I just came back, uh, Xamarin had their big conference this year, uh, Evolve in Atlanta, and they gave away uh, some Xami awards to the winners. And they all ended up being kind of enterprise big corporation apps. But it's a little bit of a selection bias, too, because a big corporation can pay for the resources to have well-designed apps and all that, a beautiful user interface and all that kind of stuff. And a lot of Xamarin licenses, too. That kind of thing. <laughs> And uh, so these were big corporate 
apps, but what they did were, was quite diverse. One was this really neat augmented reality. It's very strange. It, I think it was for people going out and diagnosing problems with windmills, power generating windmills. And it was this weird augmented reality app that you could visualize some data from the windmills by pointing it at the windmills. It was kind of trippy. It was really neat. I'm kind of into augmented reality, so I loved it. And then the other one was a game. <laughs> so games are still obviously a big thing. And then another one was the weirdest thing. It was from the Tax Bureau of Denmark or Amsterdam or some, I don't even remember, but it was some really public office wanted to make it easier to pay your bills online or something, but they ended up designing this really nice app for it. <laughs> but I would say it's definitely big with the big corporations and all that, but I really when I started out, it was a lot of small programmers, a lot of indie developers doing it. So the, this sudden surge into larger corporations and then becoming notable has happened with Xamarin's growth. But from the beginning, we were just normal iOS developers and Android developers like everyone else, just a lot of independent developers who just happened to prefer this platform over the other, uh, over using just Xcode straight up. But it's definitely matured into everyone doing everything. I think the maturity happened along the lines where Corporations starting to use iPhone apps internally, iPad apps. And yeah, that's they, probably they, right. They already had an army of C sharp developers like, oh, here we go. We don't have to learn a new language. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. a big driver for what a lot of people are doing in Xamarin. Yeah, I could definitely see that argument. For me, I'm, I'm stuck in independent developer land though. I, I only look at the companies that are two or three or four people in size. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah, from a lot of the developers, fear of brackets. <laughs> 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 uh, you get used to the brackets, right? I, I, I did, I did Objective C for a few years. In fact, you really, so Objective C is a very, not even Objective C, Coco and all those libraries are so well designed. The long names are kind of a joke, but they're descriptive and it's pretty easy to use that API and everything. But yeah, those stupid, <laughs> those stupid brackets. It, it was, for me, it was always the memory management though. I like writing algorithms. I like exploring algorithms. And if I have to worry about bookkeeping while I'm experimenting with algorithms, then that's just bothering me. It's, it's a wasted effort to care about things you really don't need to care about. Especially since we've had garbage collectors since 1950, basically. And it's 2014. <laughs> I think people should have seen the light by now. <laughs> A lot of my inspiration comes from um, small talk and playing with uh, things like Newspeak and seeing what a proper development environment and a proper object-oriented operating system would work like. And I guess I'm just constantly pushing for our practical, everyday operating systems to just be a little bit more like that. Awesome. Xamarin Forms. I've heard mixed reviews on whether mm. it's really a usable technology at this point. Okay, so where do you even begin with this one? It's definitely a usable technology. It's definitely a version one product, though. I think, I'm not sure which part you're referring to, but I think the biggest complaint I get is sometimes people run into performance issues. And that's all due to its binding to the operating system, internal implementation details, all details that can be improved over time. But from a productivity perspective, it's a pretty, pretty darn nice library. It brings back this concept of defining your user interface and XML files and then just doing like data binding to them. But it's also a very succinct API if you want to construct user interfaces just in code. So I would say it's definitely version one in that it's missing a few features. Like for me in particular, I really wanted a pan gesture recognition or swipe or something like that. And oddly enough, it only supports tap right now. So there are funny little version one limitations like that right now. 
And then there are a few little performance hiccups. Really, sometimes people are building user interfaces kind of incorrectly. Like, I don't think it's a good user interface to display 10,000 rows in a table view to a user. I just think that's bad UI. But then there are people who complain that when they put 10,000 rows in a table view, it doesn't scroll nicely. So you got to play with the two balances of that, of support even the crazy scenarios. It's just a version one. It's coming along. Okay. Declaring your UI in XML, that sounds similar to like a Silverlight or WPF. Is that It's specifically like that. It even okay. uses XAML, the language. It's a different API, so the class names are slightly different, but it's okay. XAML. It's our oh. old friend XAML. Here we go. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which, of course, means everyone wants a XAML design tool now. <laughs> but uh, it, it's definitely nice for the people who especially are still in Windows land who do Windows development because that's all XAML-based. So transitioning over to doing iOS or Android, they can use a lot of their skills. So are there any circumstances under which you would want to go like full-on native toolset as opposed to using Xamarin? So I'll give you one instance. Um, in iCircuit, before the Accelerate framework came out, I have a bit of code that has to do some work with matrices. It has to solve a linear algebra equation. And unfortunately, the matrices get to be quite large. They're 200 or 300 by 200 or 300. So it's a lot of math they have to do. And at first, I wrote that in C Sharp, and it ran fine. I could handle circuits upwards of maybe 20 or 30 elements before it started to show its slowness. When I just on an experiment, took that and just rewrote it in C, compiled it in C, and then just linked to that library, I got about 40% speed improvement. So there was something there. But you have to keep in mind, this is very tight code. This is not normal code. This is matrix code. It's pretty much what LLVM was designed to optimize, you know, so it's really good at that. And even the 40 is sounding wrong to me right now. So that was a clear place where I got a real benefit from um, at least having a small part of my app written in just pure native, plain old C kind of stuff. Now, the good news is Apple gave us the Accelerate framework. So now iCircuit can call into a, the Accelerate framework and have it do all the uh, matrix math. And that thing's 10 times faster. We're not talking about a 40% improvement. We're talking 10,000% improvement. So that thing is just awesome. So that there are times, um, I guess performance there is one time you dip down. The other times are when you're using someone else's library, you just want to import it. But honestly, I can't think of any other reasons I would want to. Makes sense to me. Yep. Performance. <laughs> Always got to watch performance. All right, should we get to the picks? Sounds good to me. Let's All do right. it. Andrew, do you want to start us with the picks? I've just got two picks today. My first one is maybe a little predictable, but it's Calca, and this is Frank's oh, app. Nice. And I, I think I bought this app right when you released it. It is a really super cool app, so it's a markdown editor, but it also can do all kinds of calculations, basically, in line. So it's like a markdown editor and a, and a really sophisticated calculator mashed into one. And it's just great for doing quick calculations. Like, I often use it when I'm trying to figure out budgeting and that kind of thing, but it's also cool because you can use it to present this information to other people, like write about a bunch of calculations and actually show how the results work out. And anyway, so definitely check out Calca. And then my second pick is actually a new camera that I got this week, and it's the Fujifilm X-T1. I hope I didn't already pick this, but I don't think I did. Uh, It's a mirrorless uh, digital camera, so that means 
it's, it can be smaller than a digital SLR. And these are starting to get really popular, but I've just been really impressed with this Fuji camera and the whole line of cameras. And I've been enjoying shooting with it a lot. And it's, it probably weighs like a third as much as the digital, the Canon digital SLR that I had shot with previously. So that's Fujifilm X-T1. And those are my picks. Very nice. Alondo, what are your picks? I have what I would consider one and a half picks this week. There's a lot of excitement about watch hit because specifically where I work, we are all getting watches as soon as they come out. And we were working on some possible features that will integrate with our existing app. Um, but there was a great article in The Verge that came out yesterday, and it uh, talks about some of the, the discoveries they made just from investigating the watch kit, which is now available. The documentation's out for anybody who's interested. So I, I thought it would be um, it sparked some really good discussion about what we can do. And if anyone's interested, I think they would, they would find it uh, pretty useful. And along with that, the half pick is just the actual documentation uh, to the watch kit itself for those that are interested. And those are my picks. Very nice. James, what are your picks? I have one pick. So yesterday, with all the snow we've had around here, I was trying to get my wife's bike ready so she can bike in the winter inside with it. she got a trainer. But you have to put on these trainer wheels, and these are a complete pain to get on a bike. They're, they're really rigid rim around them, so they're really hard to get on a bike. And we we bought the trainer last year, and we had just had the shop do it. And I was too lazy because it was like 10 degrees outside. I'm like, I'm not going outside to take this to the thing just to put a wheel on a tire. So I struggled with it for a little while, and I found a really great video online of this uh, older English man that tells you how to put a hard-to-fit tire on a bike. So I was able to get my trainer on my wife's bike and all set up, and she's riding pretty good. So that's a good pick if you have to change tires on a bike. So here we go. I'll send the link. That's my pick. Awesome. I've got a couple of picks that I'm going to throw out there. I've actually joined the cast of another podcast. I guested on their show, and then they asked me to come back permanently, and I I had a good time. So uh, if you're interested, it's the Entreprogrammers podcast. And uh, it's basically a mastermind group, except we just we record it and release it. So if you're interested in that kind of stuff, entrepreneurship, and you're a developer, then this is kind of right up your alley. So uh, I'm going to pick that. And then I have two picks and an anti-pick. This weekend, my wife and I kind of got away. We went up to Park City, Utah, um, which is a terrific place to go. If you're interested in the Olympics, the Olympic training facilities are up there. They have a bunch of Olympic venues that they built during the 2002 Olympics. So you can go see that stuff. Downtown is, or if you can call it a downtown park city, is a lot of fun. Just Main Street, it's cool. And it's fun just to walk up and down there. It's less fun when it's as cold as it was, but that was fun. And then my other pick is just, you know, just getting away, just finding some space and, and enjoying yourself. I think we all work hard and sometimes we just need a break. And so, you know, go take a break. Um, my anti-pick is we went up there. We wound up staying at uh, Westgate Resort. Westgate is a timeshare company. And so we got a good deal on the room. The deal, though, included that we had to go sit through their sales pitch. And they were extremely aggressive and lied to me at least twice. <laughs> so they're my anti-pick. Timeshares don't completely make sense to me anyway. But if you're going to be rude, you're going to be pushy, you're going to be manipulative, and then you're going to lie to me, yeah, I'm anti-picking. So anyway... Wow. um I didn't so, even know that you could anti-pick. That's a whole new dimension to this. Oh, yeah. Here are all the things I hate. Yeah, God, so, it changes everything. Yeah, I'm probably going to write a blog post about how not to sell, and it's going to be based on this experience. Okay. Anyway, Frank, what are your picks? I have three. I did my homework. I want to start with an app that I, I absolutely I run my life with the app. It's called Clear. It's an iOS and a Mac app, and it's just a to-do app, and it's 
grand feature, I guess, is that it's super easy to add things and check them off your list. But basically, it's just a very well-written app, just very fine-tuned to creating to-do items. It syncs over iCloud, so I, I jump between Mac and my phone all the time for managing lists. And because of its ease of use, I just use it constantly. So if I have someone that's using my app and I'm looking over their shoulder, I'm just constantly taking notes while they're doing it of, you know, UI improvements, things that I want to fix and all that, just because the app is so awesome. So please go use Clear. It's by Real Mac Software. It's easy to find. And then another app that I use day-to-day is uh, called Dash, and it's a documentation, a programmer's documentation aggregator and browser for Mac. I think it's also for iOS, but I always use it on Mac. And the really cool thing about it is that it can handle multiple documentation sets, so I constantly have it searching um, .NET and um, iOS and Mac continuously, since those are the libraries that I are available to me constantly. So it's real nice just having one nice UI to jump between all the different documentation sets and everything like that. So I highly recommend Dash, and that's by Capelli, D-A-S-H. The last thing is going to be a book that I want to recommend, and it's called uh, Real World Functional Programming, with examples in F-sharp and C-sharp. I think with Swift coming out and it being a very nice, cute little subset of F-sharp, Swift programmers could learn a lot from seeing all the uh, knowledge and patterns. I know that word's a bad word nowadays, but, you know, uh, techniques for programming real apps in a functional hybrid. Well, it's a hybrid language, just like F-sharp. And so I would say that even though this book is for F-sharp and C-sharp programmers, I'd say three-quarters of it is useful to a, a new Swift programmer, especially definitely all the uh, functional parts. You just can't use all the cool async stuff that we can do. But definitely a great resource if you're jumping into that world. And those are my picks. Awesome. I do want to point out, I always hesitate to tell people what we're talking about next week, but Alondo mentioned it. I think Frank mentioned it. So I'm going to tell you and then if something happens and it gets moved or canceled then i'm real sorry but next week we will be talking about watch kit with carl brown so if you're interested in that stay tuned go apple watch (laughs) and i don't have any other announcements so we'll wrap up and we'll catch you all next week thanks for coming frank thank you thank you very much for having me this was a lot of fun this episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Would you like to join a conversation with the iFreaks and their guests? Want to support the show? We have a form that allows you to join the conversation and support the show at the same time. You can sign up at iFreakShow.com slash forum. 